0: This is a WTOP original podcast.
1: From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. An angry mob of protesters turn into rioters and break into the U.S. Capitol.
2: And then before you knew it, they were on top of the Capitol steps. And as I first realized what was happening, I mean, it reminded me of of something out of things that I've seen, you know, from, you know, the 1970s in Central America or somewhere where there was some kind of coup taking place.
1: WTOP Capitol Hill correspondent, Mitchell Miller, in the thick of it, had to be evacuated. At
2: that point, we knew things were really, really out of control.
1: In the meantime, down the street at the White House, the president was out of view, locked down, quiet. Members of his staff, Resigning.
0: Something is happening in that White House of such significance that they feel obliged to resign. There is something that has changed from two days ago or a week ago or a month ago that has prompted these individuals to resign.
1: Lawrence Pfeiffer, former director of the White House Situation Room, says something even stranger is unfolding here.
0: It is certainly ironic. Uh, that we have a president of the united states uh who can't tweet at the moment but he could perhaps actually launch uh, or give an order to launch nuclear weapons that that's a little frightening
1: coming up on this edition of target usa the national security podcast from wtop in washington dc this is target usa russia could render huge harm to this country The National Security Podcast. I'm J.J. Green. A very surreal scene took place at the Capitol on Wednesday, January 6th, as protesters turned into rioters and broke into the building, trashing it in the process. Many of the people who were at work had to be evacuated. One of those people was WTOP Capitol Hill correspondent Mitchell Miller and he talked with us about the experience.
2: Well, this is just an amazing historical moment, as you mentioned, never seen before. Absolutely extraordinary. Of course, we as journalists covering Capitol Hill, were all focused on the fact that we were going to have the electoral college count and that it was going to be a lot of political theater. We also, of course, were very aware of what was going on outside of the Capitol, the demonstrations. Actually, as my day began, I went right through the demonstrating group that was initially outside of the barrier in front of the Capitol on the east side, going through that side. um, Aside from people not wearing masks, uh, it was pretty much as I expected. There was just a lot of people out there peacefully gathering. And I'm sure that a lot of um, Capitol police that were out in force out uh, in that capitol grounds area thought that you know maybe there could be some trouble here or there but they were thinking maybe also that it was going to be a day like many other demonstrations that have happened in front of the capitol whether it's related to the supreme court or any myriad issues so when this started to unfold we were as reporters inside the capitol focused pretty squarely on what was happening on the house and senate floor but then you could actually start to hear things going on outside of the Capitol. And then, you know, we're working inside of these very tightly confined areas for broadcasting, but you can tell there's, there's definitely some problems going on. So I immediately mm-hmm. looked out the front window where I am located, which looks out over the mall on the west side of the Capitol. And of course you could just see a sea of humanity making its way, but little did I know at that very moment That was the time when all the demonstrators were just about to breach that security barrier, which really, frankly, is just a bunch of bike racks that are set up outside the the, uh, east side of the Capitol. They rushed them. And then before you knew it, they were on top of the Capitol steps. And as I first realized what was happening, I mean, it reminded me of, of something out of things that I've seen, you know, from, you know, the 1970s in Central America or somewhere where there was some kind of coup taking place. And initially you thought, okay, well, they they breached the area. They're up on the steps. But then for them to actually get inside the Capitol, that was just absolutely stunning, shocking. Any word that you can have about it it was just incredible.
1: Yeah, I remember seeing some video of um, – the trespassers, rioters, we should just go ahead and call them what they were, breaking the windows of the Capitol and getting into the building. Um, How long before you got notified or messaging from Capitol Police about uh, evacuation?
2: Well, it was probably within maybe the first 20 to 30 minutes after they had actually gotten into the capitol and as you know it's a lot of word of mouth type of thing initially and there wasn't necessarily a you know an order going out over the uh, pa system or anything like that but where i am located where a lot of other press people are on the house side of the capitol it became very quickly clear they made an announcement that we are locking down They literally locked the doors to the area where we are all located. And then obviously right below us is the um, house chambers. Mm -hmm. And that was where things really got crazy, where they literally put a blockade of furniture in front of the main front door of that house chamber. And that was when uh, staff members inside were actually drawing guns, worried about another security breach within the Capitol and inside the Uh, House chamber itself. So at that point, we knew things were really, really out of control.
1: Yeah. So we did see uh, some notification information uh, indicating that someone was shot inside the Capitol building today. What have you heard about that?
2: Well, that was really hard to find out information about. Originally, there were some indications, well, maybe did it happen outside of the Capitol But then, as you know, with everything with social media, that really was the confirming factor that uh, some people had actually taken video of what had happened inside the Capitol. And as soon as I saw that video, I knew immediately that this person had been uh, injured inside the Capitol. And it appeared that it wasn't too far from an area where they might have uh, breached inside the Capitol. I don't know all the details related to that. And... Uh, obviously, but Mm -hmm. the idea that somebody could be shot inside the Capitol, uh, many of us remember uh, years ago when U.S. Capitol Police were attacked, but that was at a a single entrance, whereas at this point— all of these people had just started marauding through the Capitol, and we really didn't have any idea of how many were in there. And then when you saw that they were actually walking through Statuary Hall, and then you learned that they were in the Senate chamber and climbing around and sitting in the chair that Vice President Mike Pence had literally been in just minutes or maybe an hour before presiding over this historical event, it was just absolutely stunning.
1: One of the things that struck me was that— this was a situation where, and you mentioned this while you were on the air here at WTOP today, you mentioned that, you know, it's it's not clear what they left behind. We know that there was an improvised explosive device found near the Republican National Committee headquarters, which isn't far from the Capitol building. Uh, but these people that got in were not screened at all. So it's not clear what they brought in with them.
2: Right. And as you well know, anytime you go into the Capitol or any major federal building around here, you go through a metal detector and you get wanded. And none of these people none of that had happened. So nobody had any idea of what these people had with them. There were obviously lots of follow-ups on uh, suspicious packages. At one point, the Cannon building was evacuated. Um, And then there's the the factor that many of these people had indicated they had a strong desire to bring firearms into DC. Obviously, that is illegal unless you have a permit and nobody really knew what they had on them as they went through the Capitol.
1: Now. Um, what's your situation now? It's five twenty-four in the evening, and I know your day can go as long as you need to work. You 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 know you don't necessarily punch a nine-to-five kind of clock. Um, so, if you were be ready to leave, what's the situation there? Because we know there's a curfew in place, but we know being I guess in the custody of U.S. Capitol Police right now for your own safety, um, what's what are they telling you about that?
2: Well, it's really a wait-and-see kind of situation, I'm sure, for not only journalists, but for staff members and anyone else who actually works inside the Capitol. Uh, It was late in the afternoon when we got the word that we had to evacuate, and Capitol Police came up there and they, they told us in no uncertain terms that we had to leave. And so we were brought down uh, through kind of the catacombs, if you will, and through the tunnel area uh, that many lawmakers actually use. And I'm sure no doubt were evacuated themselves earlier in the afternoon, you know, along the rail tracks that go underneath. And we were brought into the Rayburn building into a safe area where we are now. And we will have to await word from Capitol Police as well as House Radio and TV Gallery staff about where and when we might be able to leave. Um, You know, as working journalists, We want to be out covering what's happening, but we also understand the safety concerns and they don't want necessarily people wandering around uh, inside the Capitol. So it's a tough situation, but fully understandable. And we'll just have to wait it out.
1: And that's exactly what happened with Mitchell Miller and the rest of our colleagues on Capitol Hill Journalist colleagues that were covering uh, all of the action that took place yesterday that work on the Hill on a regular basis. They and the staff from the Capitol and the members uh, of Congress, the senators and the representatives were eventually allowed to go back into their workspaces. Uh, It was a tense time and it was an unusual time up there on Capitol Hill because it's usually one of the safest places on Earth, but Wednesday, the 6th of January, it was anything but, it seemed. Meantime, just down the street at the White House, something strange was going on there. The President was there, his supporters were up on the hill, many of them marauding through the Capitol, uh, and there was this concern about what the President was going to do to stop it. So, we couldn't find anybody who was there, obviously, to talk with us, we've reached out several occasions. Two folks there, but they haven't responded. But we do know someone who has an idea of what likely was happening. His name is Larry Pfeiffer. He's the former director of the Situation Room at the White House. And he joins us now with some thoughts about what likely was going on. So
0: the Situation Room director, the the senior duty officer on the watch floor, would have uh, been providing alerts to the national security advisor and his deputies uh, uh, either directly or through their office staffs. Uh, They would have been summarizing this activity in daily summaries or periodic summaries that uh, make their way to the president of the United States. Uh, They would have been convening, uh, phone conversations with other watch operations around the Washington metropolitan area and elsewhere to make sure that uh, everybody was singing from the same sheet of music and that everybody had all the information uh, germane to the topic. And I think uh, given you know the national security nature of the uh, Situation Room, they would have been keeping eyes and ears open for any um, efforts by foreign adversaries, foreign intelligence organizations. Uh, trying to either learn from the event or perhaps even take advantage of the event, um, you know. I will tell you, as a former intel officer, um, you know our our case officers and the assets which which with with which they run, uh, they love nothing more than a chaotic situation to take advantage of. Uh, you know, in a foreign country, if you had a storming of the Capitol, uh, I can guarantee you, if we had assets that could take advantage of that uh, possi- that situation and uh, join in with the crowd to perhaps then infiltrate and find information, uh, we would definitely take advantage of it.
1: How do we know that didn't happen yesterday? We don't. and <laughs> We don't. And not knowing that, what does that tell you and how do you feel about that?
0: Well, it does raise some concerns. Uh, to me, one of the greatest concerns is the ease with which our capital was overrun yesterday by a mob. Uh, we did see videos of people uh, on, on phones and in front of computers uh, in congressional offices. Now, the most sensitive information would not be in a, just a normal congressional office or senator's office. Uh, the most sensitive intelligence is kept in skiffs and in vaults um, in a separate part of the Capitol complex. Um, but, uh, you know, somebody who would want to take advantage of the chaos or, or has now learned that, you know, that the Capitol can be more easily overrun, uh, somebody more organized might be able to take advantage of that. Uh, you may recall during the impeachment hearings, a bunch of uh, congressmen who were not part of the House Intel Committee stormed the vault and made their way in and sat down and tried to take advantage of uh, of the situation. So, um, you know, if if a bunch of congressmen can storm a vault door and and go in, well. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if under circumstances like yesterday, if that vault door had been open, uh, you know, if somebody could have perhaps pushed through and gotten into the into the vault. Definitely a concern. Probably a remote concern, but a concern.
1: Meanwhile, back at the White House, Larry, a lot of people, I'm told, are either considering resigning or resigning, including people from the National Security Council staff. What does that say to you?
0: Well, what it says to me is something is happening in that White House of such significance that they feel obliged to resign. There is something that has changed from two days ago or a week ago or a month ago that has prompted these individuals to resign. Uh, I think that should worry the American people. Uh, number two, some of the key individuals that are resigning. I've seen a Matt Pottinger, the deputy national security advisor, and now I've seen uh, the senior director for Europe and Russia have both resigned uh, these were individuals highly regarded by uh, the intelligence community and the rest of the national security structure uh, they were probably seen as governors on excess behavior uh, individuals that would be able to influence decisions made by the national security advisor and the president in a positive direction so so in their absence uh, um, you know that that could pretend Ah, uh, more drastic uh, decisions on the part of the president, uh, and it also um, it also raises concerns uh, overseas from uh, for our allies. Uh, the more sensible people they were dealing with are now gone. Uh, the likelihood that anyone will replace them is probably slim to none, and uh, uh, and then our adversaries could be emboldened uh, because they see a decision-making structure that is now at at, at a minimum disrupted and hampered, uh, and they could perhaps take some bolder action.
1: Something you said a bit earlier about something taking place in that White House. At this hour, we've heard the president has isolated himself almost completely, including from staff and is said to be not very happy. This is a president who, as every president does, has access to some very sensitive capabilities, including nuclear codes and including the ability to to declare and launch conflict or war against another nation uh what are your thoughts about uh, where the nation should be looking right now in terms of uh, and for answers to the to, to to fix this situation and and what can you share about your thought process on this
0: it is certainly ironic uh that we have a president of the united states uh who can't tweet at the moment but he could perhaps actually launch uh, or give an order to launch nuclear weapons that that's a little frightening um What I guess I would assure people is that uh, um, the ability to launch a nuclear weapon, um, there are humans in the loop, and uh, uh, I think humans who would receive that order to to carry out such an order Uh, if they were concerned or considered it unlawful. uh, They would either not do it or would consult their higher-ups in the uh, military and at the Pentagon before they would execute such a decision. Uh, And perhaps we uh, saw some of that happening yesterday, if press reports are to be believed. Uh, it sounds like the president w- either was not interested in or was not involved in making the decision to deploy National Guard troops in Washington, and ultimately it was the vice president who made that decision in consultation with uh, the chairman of the Joint Chiefs and senior leaders of the Pentagon. So, so we may have seen that already happening. Uh, so, um, yeah, not not a good situation, but but I think people should rest assured that uh, um, the president, you know, won't get us into a nuclear war um, on his own.
1: Do you think there are people that are hesitant or reluctant or concerned about taking orders from this president at this point?
0: Oh, I would think so. I I would think so. Um, we've we've we're seeing people resign because uh, they believe they have been asked or have participated in uh, at at a minimum unethical, if not illegal, decisions. And uh, um, yeah, I, I think uh, I think that's. Shocking, but I think we should be heartened that good people are um, are resisting those orders.
1: It seems as though you know the situation on the hill. The worst is over with the Capitol, but there's still 13 days left of this presidency. And the transportation secretary has now announced that she's resigning, and we're not sure how quickly that will be effective. But uh, I have to think that there may be more of the cabinet that will leave. There's still this is still the presidency. I mean they right. still have they that the, the administration still has job has a job to do. So if the president would not call out the national guard when it was needed, the vice president had to do that and if these cabinet members are, continue to leave and key staff on the national security council are leaving, then where where does this leave us?
0: Well, I would tell you, I would uh, I would suggest that these are signs and indicators Uh, to our um, elected representatives in Congress that perhaps they need to take some action, uh, whether that action is doing what, you know, Barry Goldwater and his colleagues did in 1974 and go visit the White House and tell the president that his time is up. And perhaps for the good of the nation, he needs to resign. Uh, And if not that, uh, I think there should be serious consideration given to Removal of the President either through the twenty fifth amendment or through uh, impeachment and conviction. Um no, no, I'm not certain either one of those uh, would would work in the time we have left, but uh, um but I think it would send a clear signal to the President uh, as to where the the mind of the American people is today,
1: but just the last thing here, Larry, the, the, that's the problem. There may not be enough time to go through these official processes. But there's still a lot of time left, as you hear this sports analogy a lot in games, you know, when there's very little time relative to the entirety of the game uh, is left. But there's still time left. And you hear them say there's still a lot of time left. 13 days could be a lifetime with this situation unfolding with this president. Yeah, I know. I know you. Don't, <laughs> I know you don't have an answer for that, though.
0: Yeah, uh, and unfortunately, I worry a little bit. We don't have Tom Brady at the, you know, sitting in the huddle calling the plays here. Yeah, I think you're. I think you're right there. Uh, the. <laughs> I don't think the maximum amount of pressure has been put on this president yet, with regards to what he should do for the good of the country, and uh, uh, and if. If if that maximum pressure was put on him and he still refused to resign, I think that could perhaps be what would be needed by Vice President Pence and the majority of whatever remains of the cabinet uh, to uh, to make the decision to invoke the 25th Amendment. I mean, the 25th Amendment can be invoked, you know, in, in, in an hour, I would think. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, and in the timelines of the 25th Amendment, uh, I'm pretty sure that... Uh, um, Donald Trump would not be able to reclaim the presidency during the time we have left.
1: That's Lawrence Pfeiffer, former CIA Chief of Staff and former Director of the White House Situation Room. We'll be back again in our next episode with more on this story because this is one of the biggest stories that we've had in many a day and it won't be going away anytime soon. In the meantime, if you have any questions or comments, send me an email at jgreen@wtop.com. at wtop.com. That's J, the letter J, the color green, one word, at Whiskey Tango Oscar Papa. Also, if you want more information about national security, sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff. And you can sign up at WTOP.com slash alerts. Also, we invite you to subscribe to our podcast and follow us on Twitter. We're at podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha podcast. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA. The National Security Podcast. Now, stay tuned for the latest headlines from the Associated Press.